I had the book, The Secret, and uh, that's where my journey started. And I had this deep knowing. Uh, like once I went within, I just knew that I was being divinely led. I had to trust and believe in myself, if that makes sense. When things came my way, like I just put it out there, you know, I wanted to heal myself. So uh, for me, okay, I'll I'll learn meditation. I'll, you know, I was having conversations with people that I would not normally have. And those conversations were very empowering conversations. I'd always have something to take away from it. Um, So I had to go and learn those tools. And, you know, since then, I mean, I had to literally do a crash course because, you know, remembering I was given 12 months to live. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, another beautiful, incredible guest, the gorgeous Marie Chronopolis. This beautiful soul has a book that she's written called Dare to Choose. It chronicles Marie's story as a cancer survivor, recounting the moments following the devastating news and the incredible life transformation that she underwent to take back control of her body and her fate, turning her disease into an opportunity to become the best version of herself she possibly could, be stronger, healthier, and more open to self-belief and self-love than ever before. This beautiful interview is actually an incredible opportunity for us to hear someone's story, someone who I believe is incredibly powerful at reframing and visualizing, and then turning that reframe and visualization into a real positive reality. Her Dare to Choose book is also a fulfillment of a personal promise, the promise to give back, reach out, and lend a hand through her words to all others who may be traveling down an unexpected fork in the road. Marie's story is your wake-up call. After undergoing procedures to remove the tumors that were all through her body, Marie was ready and committed to embrace a better, healthier lifestyle. As you'll hear in this interview and like her book, she guides us through the process of rethinking what you think, what you eat, the stuff you bring into your home, understanding the foods that you put into or onto your body. She guides us into relearning how to breathe by incorporating meditation, hypnosis, coaching, finding people that are in your team, in your corner. And also she talks about how to strengthen our bodies, our minds, our souls, and to also support us to always constantly fight off the pressures of, you know, maybe limiting aging and the threat of disease. The powers of beliefs and love were definitely the cornerstones of Marie's self-healing journey from the beginning of her diagnosis and the way that she has now moved forward and encouraged herself and others to believe in the transformation as something totally possible. By giving love and being open to receiving love, Marie says you'll be able to step towards your own healing journey, no matter what you're you're facing or living through. You are going to love today's interview. This beautiful soul has an incredible story, and I am so grateful she reached out to me after hearing my interview on FMTV with James Calhoun. 
there's something about reaching out when you hear or see someone that you look up to, revere, enjoy, or just want to say thank you to. So please take the chance and the opportunity to reach out to this special soul. All her details will be in the show notes. And if you'd like to leave any feedback or comments about today's interview, you can go to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28. You can go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. I want to thank Beautiful 28 Essentials for being the sponsor of this beautiful show where I get to help you crack open your heart by hearing the stories and incredible journeys of special women like Marie. As you can hear this week, we have an incredibly special guest, beautiful Marie Chronopolis. What an incredible opportunity to hear this woman's story. Welcome to the show, gorgeous girl. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. And uh, you've managed to pronounce my last name correctly. Well done. <laughs> A little bit of practice there. <laughs> um, but look, it is an honor to have you on the show. And I love the way we met and how you reached out. And then I got to hear your story. And I just found it so fascinating that I really wanted to share this with the Self Love Podcast listener. So to get us started, maybe Marie, talk about how we connected and then um, let's get into your incredible story. Sure. Uh, yeah, look, I was um, in hospital. I just recently had a, an operation on my hip and um, I was watching uh, uh, the Food Matters uh, uh, with James and it was a um, an interview that he was doing with you. Anyway, I got halfway through the interview and I was like, oh, my gosh, I just love um, this woman. And everything that you were saying just resonated with me. Anyway, I got home the very next day, finished the interview, and I was just laughing my ass off, especially when I got to the bit where you were talking about speaking softly because uh, I come from a Greek background and we just yelled. I mean, my mother yelled, my her grandmother yelled. It's just a, a whole line of yellers in the family. I mean, you're sitting at the table and um, you ask someone to pass you the salt and it's like, can you pass me the salt? <laughs> so when you spoke about speaking softly it just resonated so much that um and, and in the midst of all the pain that I was in from recovering from the surgery I thought and I couldn't sleep and I thought you know what I'm just going to reach out to you and just share a little bit about you know being Greek and yelling and now all over my house I have these sticky notes speak softly speak softly <laughs> so, just brilliant yeah. <laughs> I just I just love that. That interview with James has had so many views. It's a really beautiful one. Anyone that's a, a member of FMTV or on Gaia, make sure you go and watch it. It was a real privilege to do that interview and it's certainly touched a lot of people. But I was so wrapped when you reached out because as I got to see your story and what you've been through, it just made me realize why women like you are so important to have on a show like this. I know we all have ups and downs. I know we all have struggles and challenges, and you certainly haven't been without yours. Could you give us a, bre a brief background now then as to your life? I know you just said you're Greek and you've got this wonderful <laughs> culture, but maybe give us a little bit more about your, your childhood growing up and then just lead us into the, the big challenges that you've had. Yeah, sure. Look, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess my challenges really started even when I was little. Um, I, you know, like I said, I was, I'm Greek and I come from a broken home. 
So I grew up with my father, he raised me, and at the age of 15, um, I uh, didn't go to school. I dropped out. I was a a high school dropout. So with that came a lot of other issues um, and, you know, this whole self-belief and the stories that I was telling myself. And back then, you know, coming from a Greek uh, heritage, divorce was unheard of. So, you know, being in a a small town, Greek community, um, people were gossiping. um, And so I had a a, a lot of shame. I I felt a lot of shame. And... um, I ended up being diagnosed with dyslexia as well. So that didn't help. Uh, and a family that yelled. <laughs> but um, from that, I guess that, that they were the foundations that helped me later on in life, little did I know. And what I mean by that is that I had this inner determination that I was going to become something. I was going to do something special with my life and I was going to come back to my hometown and prove everybody wrong about me right and um, just because I had dyslexia didn't mean that I couldn't become somebody anyway so then fast forward to um, Marie in central Queensland with four children um, who had uh, you know this vision to become somebody and she did become somebody she was a mother she um, you know I I educated myself and um, got myself this beautiful career uh, as a uh, branch manager running a recruitment agency in Rockhampton. And I thought I was at the top of my game. I had done, I was pretty proud of myself. I thought I was, um, you know, fit, healthy, um, you know, all of that. And then uh, one day I, I was sitting in my office and uh, my secretary had come in and as we do every morning, we'd have a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, I used to drink coffee back then and drink and smoke and all those terrible things. Um, and then I, I, as I was talking to her, briefing, you know, about our day and what activities we had to do, I felt a little lump on my um, collarbone. And she asked me, was I all right? And I said, oh, you know, this feels like a pimple. What is it? And but it, it it was moving, so it wasn't a pimple. And we sort of I self diagnosed and said, oh, it's probably a cyst. She said, you know what? I'm just probably going to make you an appointment to go and see your doctor. And that appointment um, was the start of my journey um, of um, yeah everything that I believed in um, yeah completely changed who I thought I was uh, wasn't who I was <laughs> yeah um, from that um, my doctor I remember her calling me and saying and I'd known her for 20 years and she said Marie I need you to come in and see me and I knew in that moment that it wasn't good I mean a doctor can normally give you results over the phone and I just had this gut feeling that this wasn't good I got down there and, um, yeah, she delivered the devastating news that I had a, um, uh, you know, a cancer called, um, it wasn't a one-word cancer, it was it had to be three and it had to be rare, and 1% of all cancers, of course, um, and it was called myxoid liposarcoma. So that was... Um, uh, very devastating at the time, and I, you know, I found myself sitting there questioning everything about me, about my life, about you know my children, everything I'd done. Like, yeah, it was just you know where to from here. Um, within a few days, I was in 
um, Brisbane. I had to fly down to Brisbane to see a specialist. And I remember going into his office and he asked me, he said, oh, have you noticed any lumps anywhere else? And I said, no, not really. Um, and he said, are you sure? Because we're looking for a primary. I mean, I didn't even know what a primary was, you know. He had to explain that to me. And um, I said, well, actually, you know, I noticed a, a couple of months ago I was in the gym and I was doing deadlifts and I noticed I had a tight hamstring. And as soon as I said that, he said, right, get up on the bed. And um, sure enough, uh, that lump that I thought was a, a pulled hamstring turned out to be the primary, and it was half the size of an AFL football. So uh, with that, <laughs> another shock, and I was horrified. He wanted um, uh, me to have an MRI to see how far this cancer had spread. And um, within a couple of hours, I, I was at the hospital. Within a couple of hours, I got the results back from that. And this thing had, like, it was just, it had invaded my body. It was literally everywhere, Kim. It, not only did I have a primary behind my hamstring, there was um, the main artery um, in my right leg, just behind my knee. Uh, uh, there was a five-centimetre um, tumour that had attached itself to the main artery. Then I had um, uh, tumours in my groin, in my left breast, underneath my arm. Um, yeah, it, it literally it spread everywhere. Um, and then the, he delivered the news of, well, what we'll do now is we'll go in and uh, remove the primary. However, uh, you know, this this isn't good, Marie. Like, if I were you, you need to go home and get your affairs in order. And I'm, like, looking at him going, what does that mean? You go home and get my affairs in order? Like, I, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, and he said, look, you know, this is 1% of all cancers. People that normally get this cancer um, within five years, they don't make it, basically. And I remember looking at him thinking, you know what? How dare you? How dare Like, I was so angry. I had that, you know, anger that, and it was so strong. And I remember thinking back to when I was a child growing up and everyone was teasing me at school because I come from a broken home and, you know, um, I didn't have a mother and I was living with my father and I wasn't any good at school and, you know, I was a high school dropout and the rumours that were going around, I'd never amount to anything and how angry I felt back then. And all of a sudden, you know, this, this anger just, <laughs> I don't know, there was this connection, this determination for me to go, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and I made it my mission. I made it my mission to uh, heal myself. So, look, I, I guess for me to, look, we're all going to die and, you know, there's no certainty in life. But for me, I got angry because, um, I wasn't going to have somebody tell me when and when, where I was going to die, if, you, if that makes sense. Um, and if it was going to be on my terms um, and my other driver um, towards healing myself and beating this thing was the fact that I had four children. The thought of them um, not being having their mother around and and me going home and telling them oh my gosh I was just oh, I still get emotional um devastated 
and uh, yeah and I don't know for, uh, for me there, there was just this inner determination this belief that I was going to prove him wrong so I hung on to that picture of me walking in, I created this visual picture in my head that I was just going to walk back into his office six months from now and say, see, I told you I was going to beat this thing. But in order to beat this thing, I knew that I also needed the help of the doctors. So I wasn't going to shy away from, you know, anything that they um, had to offer me as far as treatment went. Um, but I knew I had to arm myself with as much knowledge as I possibly could about this cancer and about going on a self-healing journey. You know, what could I do to help myself? I had to take control. I couldn't just leave everything to the doctors to, to try and help me, um, you know, cure this. Um, so, yeah, I w- that was the start of my healing journey. <laughs> an incredible story and one that I dare say most people would fear um, ever having to confront or deal with. But Mm. one of the things you said in there, which I still cannot get over, just how powerful the mind is, is your ability to visualise. And if only people could realise you are what you think. And if you think your your diagnosis, you may feel quite beaten. But that determination, that resilience, that absolute desire to use your weakness as a child as your strength to get you through this is actually quite remarkable had you known the power of visualization or was it just an inner determination yeah good question um an inner determination i had no idea about the power of visualization really not not to the extent that I do now um it was just this belief but then you know I look back now Kim and I uh, you know at certain uh chapters of my life and it was always there I just wasn't consciously aware of, that I was actually visualizing because like even you know when I, when I was um uh like I had this picture in my head and uh, I can talk about it now, but at the time it wasn't something that I talked about and I did it and I did it unconsciously that I would always work in a corporate role and I would, I'd see myself wearing a suit and holding one of those big brick phones <laughs> and a briefcase and, and I would feel what it felt like um, to be in that role. And you know what, fast forward, to, you know, two, three years from, from having that that determination to be something, to make something of myself, I, I found myself in that role. So um, it's, I think it's, it, it's there. I just don't think, you know, people, people say to me, oh, I have trouble visualising, and I say, you know what, bullshit you do. <laughs> you don't. You're just not consciously aware that you are visualising. Um, you know, when we worry about something, we're actually visualising that worry. Uh, it's a thought. So, you know, um, we're actually visualising it. So I wasn't consciously aware that I was doing it, I think. That that, that was the difference and it took a big, um, a big knock in my life, you know, for me to go, whoa, that, you know, that determination and, right, I'm going to prove you wrong and this is what I'm going to go out and do. And, and a little book called The Secret as well <laughs> that had just come out at the time. And I tell you what, I literally, that was my Bible, that book. Um, I took every single word literally. Um, and it was like I had my own cheerleader, if you like, 
um, as I was going through my healing process, yeah, journey. I, I do feel in all the books and things I've read over the years, um, Joe Dispenza comes to mind with his power of healing his broken back through mm. visualisation and intention and meditation. Um, we only have to look at Louise Hay book or read The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton to know that what we think manifests in our body and also we can, if we manifest it, we can unmanifest it or manifest a new reality. And mm. I guess where I admire you so much is how you took that devastating news and that disease and actually used it as an opportunity to be even better. So mm. talk to us how, like when you think those thoughts and you go, right, I'm going to beat this. Was nutrition and um, meditation and all of these beautiful, holistic, well, natural remedies, were they foreign to you or was it new to you or how did you actually get yourself into that mindset? Yeah. Oh, look, yeah. Um, like I said, I thought I was fit and I thought I was healthy and I thought I knew it all. I knew nothing really. I had to go within and uh, let me tell you, for someone that was living in their head all the time, going within, I'd never practiced meditation. I didn't, you know, back then, we're talking 2008, if you were mentioned the word meditation, people thought it was woohoo, um, you know, um, right down to, to practicing yoga and breath work and all of that. And um, so for me, I, the first step was I had to go within so, and I had to find out who I was and I had to change the stories that I was telling myself. Once I started practicing breath work, which I'll go back a little bit because once I was delivered that news, yes, I had the determination that I was going to beat this, but I also had a lot of anxiety. For the first time in my life, I was riddled with anxiety as well. So breath work, meditation, that really, really helped me be present and it, and it helped in so many ways with the anxiety. Um, and then once I started listening to what I, uh, I was forced to listen to, the, to myself, to what I was telling myself, and, oh, my gosh, the words I spoke to myself were just so toxic um, and I realised I needed to change the language, change the story that I was telling myself. So, um, yeah, exactly, you know, um, uh, I, exercise was really important. Nutrition was huge. I literally went on a, um, a detox. I detoxed my life, not just my body, but my life, meaning my thoughts, my home, my friends, um, my work. Uh, my work was toxic. I literally walked into my work, resigned, went home. I burnt my suits. Um, I knew at that moment I had I, I had this ritual where uh, all these rituals where, where I just had to let go. I burnt my suits. That was the end of that chapter. This is the new me. Get, I had to get back to basics uh, and strip everything away. Um, and then, you know, the four pillars of health, I call it, and I talk about this in my book. So it all started with, you know, the first pillar, diet, nutrition, and the importance of that. Uh, number two, you know, for inward focus and meditation and visualisation. Uh, three was, you know, power of belief, having that belief and that faith, whatever that looks like for you. And um, number four, which I think is the most important, is the uh, power of love. So they were the 
they were the four pillars that I worked on um, uh, over the years and I continue to work on now as well. They're, they're not something that you just, um, you know, uh, just because you've been given a diagnosis and you go in and you, you do the work and then it stops. It, it doesn't work like that. It's, a, um, it's something that you continue on for the rest of your life. And um, yeah, so that that's that's what I do. <laughs> so, so those four pillars. Just mm. let me refresh. Number one was nutrition. Mm-hmm. Two inward focus, and mm-hmm. we can really uh, ascertain from that. You're talking about meditation, focusing mm-hmm. on your body, and then number three was your. Uh, power of meditation, self-belief, faith, mm-hmm. those sorts of things, and mm-hmm. then for the power of love. I mean, they are pretty extraordinarily big topics and yet mm-hmm. they get so easily over, um, they, they get overrated, but they get missed and yet they are the foundation for a happy, healthy, long life. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you got that cancer. What was it that made you, or do you believe you attracted it, or did, how did you get that mm. cancer? Yeah, it's, you know what, it, it's a good question, um, and it's something that I still, you know, ask myself. Um, I honestly believe that, um, look, I probably attracted it um, unconsciously to some level uh on some level but at the same time I am grateful for it um and you know my hand on my heart as I say this I believe that um you know this is my purpose um I've managed to turn something that um was quite devastating and threatened to take my life into something really, really positive. It's changed the person that I am, that I was back then and you know, to who I am today. If someone said to me, you know, if you could change that that cancer component um, in your life, would you change it? And I go, hell no, because who I am today, um, I love who I am today, the version of myself who I am today is because of the cancer. If that hadn't have happened, something else would have probably killed me. I don't know. Like I, I just, the per, I look back to the person that I was back then and I'm not that person anymore. I'm so much better and so much more than I was. And I think these things that happen to our, you know, to, to us in our lives, doesn't matter what adversity you're facing, happen to us for a reason to, to stretch us, to, to grow, to, you know, uh, yeah, I I welcome challenges. I'm not saying that I, I welcome another disease. I don't, but I welcome challenges. I think they're an opportunity for us to grow, and that's how I look at everything nowadays. Um, I don't have fear around any of that anymore or of any adversity. I've had to learn how to deal with, with that. Am I perfect at it? No, God, no. I, um, you know, that we've all got this inner critic um, this voice that I've actually given a name and, um, and you, you're never going to get away from that inner critic. But I think the, the secret there is to, is to be aware um, that that little voice, that little fear, you know, comes up, that self-doubt that, you know, as I was going through my journey, you know, there's many times that um, 
my, I call it my inner child and her name is Meraki because my father used to call me Meraki when I was young. And Meraki actually means um, to do everything with love, right? So when, when I had that realisation, it really made it so much easier to, um, <laughs> to work with um, my inner critic <laughs> because, you know what, at the end of the day, that inner critic, all they want is love. They're just scared. It's just that, you know, that child, inner child. And yeah, um, anyway, so it just made it a lot easier to um, uh, to deal with, uh, you know, the, the, that, inner, um, that inner critic. So she has a name. Her name is Meraki. And when she comes up, I just grab her by the hand and I, and I say to her, you know what, it's okay. You've got this girlfriend. We'll be fine. <laughs> I've always got your back, you know, yeah. So they're just some of the little tools that I use along the way to, to help me. And, and nowadays I, I like to share these tools with other people as well because I strongly believe that what, you know, the tools that I use um, to get me through my adversity um, are, are tools that anyone can use and apply in their everyday life and they're not hard tools to learn. It just takes discipline and practice and action. Um, and you can overcome anything. Um, that's my belief anyway. I want to go back then to that moment where you had the news. First mm. of all, um, how did you tell your children and what was their reaction to it? Um, yeah, my partner at the time actually um, delivered the news to the, uh, to the kids and because I was just, um, yeah, I was, I was so devastated uh, and I actually wanted him to to tell uh, the kids the news. And I just remember there was a lot of tears. Um, I remember sitting in the lounge room and um, my son was just devastated. I've got three girls, three beautiful girls and a boy, and he's sort of smack bang in the middle. And um, he he was just devastated, the look on his eye, in his eyes and the look on all their eyes. And I, I just remember thinking, you know, in that moment as well, you know, even more reason why I'm determined to, to do this on my terms, you know, like, and I'm going to have, you know, whatever time I have, it's going to be the best time. And, you know, I knew I needed to change my life um, for the sake of my children. It was the love, for, you know, for my children that really, really drove me in the end. That was, you know, I had this picture in my head um, and I had to flip it. It was a picture of me at my funeral and my children sitting there um, crying. And that that picture just didn't serve me at all, um, at, not at this point in my life. So I flipped that picture, changed it into a more positive picture, and that positive picture was the person that's here today, you know, um, strong, fit, healthy, um, and, uh, you know, that's full of love and, you know, is um, spends time with her family and, you know, it's about my life now is about uh, with my family. It's about experiences, you know. I just love experiences. I'm not into, um, you know, buying doodads as I used to be. <laughs> it's more about um, spending time with those people that I absolutely love and adore um, and making beautiful memories. So, so precious and such mm, a good so reminder. And if you ever read the book Five Regrets of the Dying, one of mm. them is that they never spent enough time with the people they loved the most. So mm. incredible advice. 
you say you think you had a part in attracting this and creating this, co-creating mm. this, but it also, whilst it was your greatest challenge, became your greatest gift. Mm. Everyone has to go through challenges. Everybody, it's it's a given. It's a part of being a human being on this planet. No one escapes it. I'm yet to meet anyone that's had mm. the perfect unscathed life. Mm. So if it wasn't cancer, I mean, as you say, it could have been something else. Is there anything you feel you could have done to have had, is it the right word, a better challenge? Like that's a pretty big one you faced. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought of that. (laughs) I'm just curious because Mm. someone listening to this, if we, you know, as we evolve more and as we learn Mm. more and invest more into ourselves, whilst problems never go away, the problems become better quality problems. Mm. So instead of being worried about your health, you're worried about how many investment properties you should have. Or instead of worrying about your children, you're worried about uh, which holidays you're going to take them on. So I just think how would you advise us listening to your story to have better quality problems? Better quality problems <laughs> by embracing them, <laughs> I guess. Um, for me, yeah, like I said before, you know, problems, I, I don't see things as problems uh, anymore. I see them as opportunities. Um, and I, yeah, I just embrace them. So, you know, um, for me at the moment, I'm, you know, um, I've started my own business and that comes with, I guess, problems. Um, but I see them as challenges and, uh, I don't, the old me would have, um, looked at the, the challenges that I face and, um, probably would have quit or um, would have got myself in so much turmoil, whereas now um, I have a lot more tools in my toolbox that help me when these challenges arrive. So it's, yeah, I feel that I'm a lot better equipped. So as I go navigate my way through life and I'm doing all this self-work, you know, with on within myself, um, I'm adding more tools into my toolbox that help me with all these um, if you like, inverted commas, problems. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it because in, in many ways what you're saying is it's a reframe. So mm. whatever your situation, no matter what it is, no matter what mm. gets supposedly we think is dealt to us, the reframe is to confront it, as you say, embrace mm. it, and then actually look at all the tools and the resources that you have. And if you don't have them, find them, get the right Mm. people in your team to then actually face the inverted commas problem or or opportunity for growth. So um, in your humble opinion, then those resources, those Mm. inner tools, those strategies, did you know them already or did you learn them? And if so, could you give us a few more of them? I didn't know them, Kim. I had no idea. Like I said, I you know, I had the book, The Secret, and uh, that's where my journey started. And I had this deep knowing um, that, uh, like, once I went within, I just knew that I was being divinely led. I had to trust and believe in myself, if that makes sense. 
when things came my way, like I just put it out there, you know, I wanted to heal myself. So uh, for me, okay, I'll learn meditation. I'll, you know, I was having conversations with people that I would not normally have. And those conversations were very empowering conversations. I'd always have something to take away from it. Um, So I had to go and learn those tools. And, you know, since then, I mean, I had to literally do a crash course because, you know, remembering I was given 12 months to live. So I didn't have much time. I was, yeah, whereas, and then now um, I'm constantly on that self-development journey and I'm constantly doing, you know, self-inquiry is one of the biggest things, you know, I'm always saying to myself, Oh, why am I feeling like this? Why do I, what do I need right now? You know, that was something I would never do back then. So I, I've learned to do that. And that has just that alone has really served me well. Uh, pausing in the moment, being present, and then questioning why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. Um, and what do I need right now? And, you know, another question is, is this mine? What I'm feeling, is this mine or is this somebody else's? Oh, return to sender if it's not mine. You know, so all these little tools I've had to learn along the way and I encourage people to um, to do that, to go out and, you know, to, to continue to... Uh, to learn tools that are going to serve them. You know, if you're having problems with anxiety, well, what can you do? Who can help you? You know, ask yourself those questions and then take action. Go out and find, um, you know, who can help you um, to, to learn those tools. Um, that That's how I uh, did it in, you know, throughout my journey. That's what's helped me all through my journey. But, again, it's not something that you just go and do because you've got a problem. It's something that you do for the rest of your life. It's part of growth, right? Um, we're just, like you said, and you said it beautifully, you know, we're, we're, we're evolving. And, um, yeah, that's part just, of evolution. It's mm. so beautiful to hear you talk because it seems so simple. And yet <laughs> for many of us, we take it for granted. It's not mm-hmm. until we confronted or facing a huge challenge or a personal crisis that we actually wish to God that we had these tools and resources. Mm. So what I'm hearing from you too then is wherever you're at in your life right now, you're never too young, old, advanced or not advanced to learn. Mm. And maybe one of the best gifts we can give to ourselves is investing in our personal growth, our learning, uh, listening to podcasts like this, reading amazing books, listening to incredible speakers, taking on the action steps that people provide or teach. And there is so much free or very well-priced, you know, price accessible programs and courses that we can actually reach out and be a part of. There's actually no excuse not to participate in personal growth. Mm. Would you agree? Oh, a hundred (laughs) percent. Yes. Oh yeah. Look, I'm one of these people that I very rarely put the TV on. Um, The only time I put the TV on is if somebody tells me that there's a really good movie or something like that. And, um, but most of the time I am in, like I'll be watching Gaia or, you know, it's all to do with personal development for me I just love it um speakers you know I just want to encourage people to to do more of that and that all comes back to self-love I mean for me doing all that um says that I'm good enough you know what I mean like um 
uh, yeah, when we, when we don't give ourselves um, the time, because I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I haven't got time to do that. I haven't got time to go and um, listen to a speaker or, um, you know, read a book or, or something like that. Basically what we're saying to ourselves is that we're not good enough. Um, and, and I say, that's bullshit. Um, you are good enough. You know, go and do the work um, because I tell you what, once you once you open up that box, um, that Pandora's box of doing work on yourself, it is so magical. Um, I've created things in my life that, wow, have just blown me away. On page 85 in my book, Kim, I just want to quickly share, I, at the time, I was single when I wrote this book and you've got to remember, I was dyslexic. Well, I am dyslexic rather, not was, I still am um, diagnosed as dyslexic. And I wrote a book like, my God, but I saw this. I saw myself writing this book because I wanted to inspire other people and give other people the tools that I used in order to overcome no matter what adversity they're facing in their life as well. So, but uh, getting back to page 85, I was single and I knew that at some point in my life, I was going to meet somebody and I, I didn't want to be single the rest of my life, but I needed to be single for a certain amount of time to get to know me and enjoy who I was as well. This is fast forward after I'd beaten cancer and and, and gone through, you know, so many more things, so, so much more adversity um, to, you know, where I wrote the book. But on page 85, I wrote a passage there about the person that I was going to meet, my partner, and what he was like and that he was going to be of like mind and exactly how I felt about him and that emotion, that love. Like I actually felt this person and the love and the joy that this man brings me. Today, as I stand here today, I'm living with this man. And um, it wasn't until a few weeks ago that he reminded me, because he's read my book, he reminded me of what I wrote on page 85 and I've just gone, oh, my gosh, I actually manifested you. <laughs> he just looked at me and he said, you're the queen of manifestation, Marie. Of course you bloody did. <laughs> I tell you, you remind me so much of Dr. Michelle Nielsen and her 10-step manifestation process where you visualise it, you put it into mm. the future. So it is the you know 10th of May 2023 and I have this, this and this and that power of talking into it. And I think what you just said was really pertinent. There's a few things you've said, but to mm. really feel it, to actually yeah. imagine all, every single one of your 50 trillion cells experiencing this is a real yeah. key. And the other thing that I think a lot of people forget, especially after reading a book like The Secret, mm. is the taking action. You don't sit there waiting for it to come to no. you. It is about being disciplined and taking the action to do that. And I think for someone who's supposedly dyslexic, it's a label, it's a nice story, and mm. whilst it could be true in some of the ways it manifests, it doesn't mean that's all you are. And yeah. I love that you have written a book, and I love that you've got recipes in there, you've got amazing quotes in there, you've got incredible prescriptions in there. So tell us a little bit about the book journey then and what it felt to you as a person labelled with dyslexia to actually put pen to paper and make it happen. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, 
an incredible journey. Just I should write a book just on writing a book. <laughs> it's um incredible. Again, like I had to go within and um I, I knew I had that had a message to share and it was I had this determination. I'd already seen myself the end result of me writing that book and the end result was, you know, me having, um, you know, speaking, uh, doing public speaking and talking to people like yourself as well, Kim, you know, about my journey. Um, But whilst I was writing it, I was, like I said, I was single and I was a fly-in, fly-out worker, uh, worked as a safety advisor for many, many years. And uh, I was in Port Campbell at the time so I had a lot of time to spend on my own and I was doing a lot of work on myself. I'd just come out of a relationship as well, which was quite toxic. And um, so there was a lot of healing I needed to do there as well. And so I just started putting pen to paper. I thought, you know what, damn it, I'm going to do this. If not now, when? Because I'd, I'd always known that I was going to write a book and I've got a dear friend by the name of Jacqueline who I shared this with and she reminded me several times. She'd say to me, when are you going to write this book? When are you going to write this book? And I thought, damn it, I'm going to do it. So I did. I started putting pen to paper and I just got into this zone. I can't even explain it. it, it it's it's like I was in a deep meditative state, but it was a zone that I had no fear. There were no boundaries. There were no fears at all. And I, it just flowed out of me. I I started writing in my motel room. Then I'd have, um, you know, I'd be at work and I couldn't wait to get home to start writing. Then I'd have, I was on a a two week on one week off roster and I'd fly home every uh, fortnight. And on the plane, as the moment I was on the plane, I don't know what it is about planes, but every time I'm on a, pl- I'm on a plane, I have to write. And that, I, do, I do some of my best work <laughs> on a plane. So it just oozed out of me. And I literally smashed this book out in record time um, because of my passion, drive and determination in this incredible zone that I was in. Uh, and it was just and I think the other thing was that it was so healing, actually put, putting pen to paper or fingers to a, um, to a keyboard as well. Um, it, it, was, it was extremely healing for me as well. So um, when I did it, I remember when I completed the book and um, I was at that point I'd finished my job uh, down in Port Campbell and I was over in Perth doing a project there and the final draft had come back uh, from the publishing house and my girlfriend, uh, my best girlfriend, lifelong friend, uh, Rose, was w- there with me at the time. And I'd sort of like briefly shared with her that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book, you know, but I sort of played it down a little bit. And then she was sitting by the pool and I said, oh, you know that book I told you about? I've actually finished it and it's come back and it's um, in its first draft. And she was one of the very first people to read it. And um, she read it within a couple of hours and she started crying. She just looked at me and hugged me and started crying. And she said, oh, my God, this is the best thing you've ever done. (laughs) Apart from beating cancer, I'm so proud of you. So that self-belief, that drive, that determination, 
and that taking action has really been a big part of my life and I'm you know I look back now and I think I'm you know I'm so you're right I'm so much more than that person you know that's just a labeled dyslexia you know um I had determination I uh, and I was disciplined and I had drive and I took action and I did it I did it I backed myself 100% and now moving forward everything I do in my life I I it's a great reminder that no matter what, I have to back myself 100% because if I don't, no one else will. All we've got at the end of the day is ourselves. And if we're talking to ourselves in a, in a way that doesn't serve us, then that's not, that's not good. That's not, you know, we're not going to get um, too far in life. Um, so, yeah. It's determination, discipline, and action. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And that self-belief comes from loving oneself. And like you mm. said before, it is actually an act of self-love. What, what is your definition of self-love then? Definition of self-love is uh, so many things, but I think the biggest thing for me, um, and I think I put up a post the other day about this, is you know, taking care of yourself mentally, physically, um, emotionally, uh, spiritually, socially, um, and, you, you know, it's important to acknowledge um, that you're worth um, investing in. So I think that's that's my definition of self-love is um, acknowledging that, you, you know, you need to do um, whatever it is to take care of you, um, and it's, it's not selfish. Um, you know, people think it's, you know, uh, you to go and have a massage or take time out and go and do yoga or something like that you know um it it takes money well you know what yeah it might take some things do take money but you're worth it so that, that i think that's what it's about for me it's investing in yourself um you at the end of the day you're the best investment that you'll ever make more so than houses more so than the stock market more so than anything the investment you're making yourself is going to carry you through and give you a very fruitful life um, um, for the rest of your life, you know, for mm. however long that we've got. So that's really important. That's my definition, Kim. So beautiful. Absolutely love it. I want to ask you then now, you said it was 2008. Talk to us through mm. the, the part where you got the, the clean bill of health and mm. what that felt like compared to the day you were given the diagnosis. Love to know yeah. the, the, the <laughs> extreme differences. Oh, look, it, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, I was given the, the clean bill of health about five years after just a, just after five years um, after the first diagnosis and I was just, you know, beside myself, it was like, yes, I knew I was going to do this, you know, and I, I, that picture, I had this picture in my head, me walking into my uh, surgeon's office and pointing my finger at him and saying, I told you I was going to freaking beat this. And that's exactly what I did. That is exactly what I did. And I put so much energy and thought and feeling the emotion drives everything so once you can tap into that emotion of how you want to feel oh my gosh that is just the most powerful weapon that we have so I knew that um I just knew that this was going it was going to turn out the way that it did so um I was so damn happy but in having said that it was not long after that I got a second diagnosis and they found a tumour behind my pancreas that threatened to take my life yet again. 
and um, that journey was probably the most horrific journey um, of all. Um, I found myself in um, uh, in hospital and they had to give me what they call a Whipple's procedure and I was on life support for about five weeks. They didn't know whether I was going to make it. And um, I was so weak, Kim, I couldn't even lift my hand. They'd taken a third of my stomach, my bowel. Um, I've literally been replumbed inside uh, in order to get this tumour, that tumour out at the time. So it took every single tool that I had in my toolbox whilst I lay there in bed. You know, I had machines to the left, machines to the right, keeping me alive. And in so much horrendous pain that I was in, they were pumping out my stomach every couple of hours because I, I didn't have the bile ducts to process the bile in my stomach and I was just waiting for everything to sort of to kick in. Um, and I, so going back to the tools that I had and uh, I just wanted to give up, uh, there was a point in that moment, in that five weeks where I was so damn exhausted from fighting for my life physically and emotionally and everything that this 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 time around I just felt like it just took everything out of me and I just wanted to give up and um oh getting a bit emotional here um again you know the faces of my children popped into my mind and you know that picture of me at my funeral and I thought damn it no no not again you know I beat this once I'm going to do this again and again I flipped that picture and I just tapped into that that emotion of what it felt like to feel strong because I'd felt strong before I'd been healthy before. So it was a lot easier for me to tap into it this time and um, tapped into that emotion. And I saw the the best version of me again, you know, and, and that's who I am today. And that's, you know, and that's what got me through was, you know, the love for my children and I beat it. And that was, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> Incredible. What year was that, just out of interest? Uh, so 2008 I was diagnosed and then um, uh, the last operation was uh, around six and a half years ago. Yeah. Well done. Mm. Do you live in fear of anything coming back or have you just no. taught yourself, good girl, so you <laughs> no. really taught yourself the power <laughs> of. Yeah, that thing has gone, Kim. I never owned it. Yeah. And this is the thing, be careful the words we speak. The words that we say to ourselves are so important. So, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, you're cancer. And I, I look at them and I go, my cancer? No, sorry, that's not my cancer. That was never my cancer. This was a hijacker. They just <laughs> picked me. You know? It's just and a I little challenge I had to try and get rid of, yeah. that's all. I so, just, I really admire you. It's taking all of the mindset um, information and inner resourcing and tools and techniques that so many incredible authors and speakers are sharing around the world. And sometimes we have to hear it from a number of different people for it to land. But give yourself the graciousness, give yourself patience, give yourself the time to really embrace and embody it. Because ultimately, Marie, what you are to me is the living example of embodying a visualization and then taking action to ensure that visualization becomes your reality. And I just want to publicly say 
a, a kudos. It's just you, I'm, I'm sorry that you've had to deal with the, the challenges that you have on one hand, but then I'm not sorry because look who we get to share and see and embrace in our worlds. I just want to say thank you. It's almost like people like you have to take one on the team, take one yeah. for the team to actually then teach it for whatever reason for other people to hear it. And, you know, I've met many amazing people and interviewed incredible guests on this show who just keep showing to me the power of mindset, visualization, controlling or being mindful of our emotions, realizing that what we think, we believe, what we believe, we create, what we create, we actually manifest. So all of the things are just such powerful reminders. And maybe, Marie, we all already know these things, but people like yourself, the work that I do, I call myself a professional reminder. And I'm going to say that today is an incredible reminder of the power of our minds, the power of never giving up, and also the power of hearing another person's story and seeing ourselves in it. Might be different scenarios, but the outcome is the same. Is there a way now with your work that you're doing in this day and age, where have you taken it? And talk to us a little bit about these amazing retreats you're now running, how your book has become a server for people to learn what you've learned. Yeah, sure. Oh, this is so exciting. I And this is, you know, the power of visualisation again. So for me, like I said, I always knew I was going to write a book and share my story and encourage people you know, um, to to use these tools. And um, and then from that, I always knew that I would um, run retreats. I had this picture that I would be running retreats. I just didn't know how or didn't know when, but this has all come about. I've taken action and I'm doing it. So I've got my first retreat uh, on the 1st of July and that's in Hep Hepburn Springs and it's a beautiful, beautiful location. But aside from all of that, it's all about self-care. Uh, so it's a winter self-care getaway. And my retreats are all about all about that, self-care, you know, uh, unplugging yourself from your daily life and coming along to these retreats and spoiling yourself, you know, like um, doing things like, you know, whether you've done meditation or not, you know, practicing meditation, learning meditation. I share the tools. I share my journey. I share the power of visualisation, um, you know, through my workshops. Um, people learn these tools through through these workshops as well. And then long after, uh, the workshops as well. So I'm looking at doing, you know, coaching programs as well. Yeah, that, that, that's what the retreats are all about, um, uh, giving yourself permission to take time out um, and bringing people together by creating, you know, enjoyable transformational experiences um, where they can relax, restore, rejuvenate and, you know, in a place where they're just completely supported by like-minded people. Um, yeah, so that, 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 that's what I'm doing. How can, how can we find out more about this? Where can we go to find out about these? Sure. Um, so on my website, uh, I advertise uh, there's a tab on there with retreats. So you can, people can just go to the website there. Um, if they just Google Marie Chronopolis, they'll see my website. And, um, yeah, they can click the link and I can send them some information and uh, they can feel free to reach out to me and uh, pick up the phone. Give me a call. And the website, is that mariechronopolis.com.au? Uh, yes. 
So it's Marie, M-A-R-I-E, Chronopolis, C-H-R-O-N-O-P-O-U-L-O-S.com. Dot .au. And dot .au. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and is that the same for the socials? We can find you on socials there too under your name? Uh, yep, yeah, you can find me on under my name, but I also have Dare to Choose You Retreat. So that's the name of my retreats because these retreats are all about you um so follow us on uh, on facebook um and on instagram as well so dare to choose you retreats and the title of your book dare to choose a journey of mm. self-healing is that available on your website as well and through things yes. like booktopia um, not on booktopia i must look into that uh, no just through my website currently through your webs and that's hard copies can we get ebook copies as well yes you can get e- ebook copies as well Perfect. Not on Audible, just by chance? Uh, no, okay. not on Audible. Maybe not that's yet, your next challenge. Me, you're giving me some ideas, Kim. This is great. <laughs> I think there's, I just finished listening to Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, and hearing wow. him read the book was just, I don't know, I'm sure any girls listening to this, you'll agree with me, but I just love his voice. Um, but there's something about listening to an author's voice, read their own words. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it's one of my favorite things to do because when I read a lot of the time I fall asleep. Um, so I love audibles for when I'm driving or when I'm out walking or jogging. And I just think there's such a powerful way. So there you go. I'll put another challenge to you. <laughs> you have, I'm, I'm actually going to take that one on. <laughs> I love it. I get so many beautiful people comment on the out of self-love of the book I wrote just recently and the way that it was read they said that they can feel me being cheeky and smiling and all of those things and I kind of I kind of like that that I got to read them I actually got to the end of it and thought geez that's a good book (laughs) (laughs) isn't that awesome (laughs) I'm hearing what you're saying (laughs) see we believe in ourselves hundred percent yeah sweetheart I know we're coming to the end but is there a final message and to the beautiful self-love podcast listener and also a favorite quote that you're listening to or reading or noticing right now um look I, I guess I just want to encourage anyone that's listening to this if they are facing an adversity um you know if they're stressed or if they've got anxiety or whatever it may be to just you know Ask yourself, what is it that you need? You know, take some time out. Um, do some self-love practices. Um, seek out uh, who do you need on your team to get you through what you need to get through. What tools do you need to, you know, to learn? Um, yeah, uh, and, you know, reach out. If you, if you want someone to talk to, someone that, you know, if you uh, – feel free to reach out to me anytime. Honestly, my door is always open and I'm always, and I'm a good listener <laughs> and um, I'd love to share my tools with, uh, with as many people as I can. I'll be your cheerleader. That's why I wrote this book. It's, it's there to cheer people on uh, through their journey, no matter what they're facing. Um, and my favorite quote right now um, is, by Renee Brown and it's a talk to yourself like you would to someone you love 
Love so powerful. Talk quote. to yourself the way you would someone you love. Yeah. Such a beautiful message, an incredible interview and conversation. I absolutely adore your work. I am so grateful that you reached out and very excited to interview you today and share your story, share your book, share your retreats and the magic that you are now sprinkling on this beautiful planet. So Marie, from my heart to yours, thank you for sharing yourself so openly and vulnerably. And thank you so, so much for sharing what it really means to dare to choose yourself. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.